Hello, friends, and welcome to HC Weekly. This is a podcast proclaiming the love of God on display through Jesus Christ. We're so glad you're with us, and I need to tell you, we've been expecting you. We encourage you to tune in for an important announcement at the end. And now it's time for today's message. We hope you enjoy. Me in your Bibles this morning. It's such a joy to be here again and to be able to share with you the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord in my heart is bursting this morning. I want you to turn. I want to read two texts from the Corinthian letters. One is 1 Corinthians 12, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians 3. I know the things I'm about to share are not new to you. You are privileged to hear them. Thank you, by the way, for letting Tim serve in Talbot as I have over the last nine weeks and Brother Jeff Oaks. This is the last Sunday that we will be serving. John Cook, the senior leader, is back and he'll be back in the pulpit next week on Father's Day. But thank you for letting Tim and I and others serve. You know, it, it gives, this is what fivefold ministry really is about. It's about putting legs on the theology and really getting down and helping churches. And John needed a break and we were able to serve. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. Here's the verse I want to land on in a few minutes. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. My intention is to come back to that in a moment and land there and break that verse down. This is called a community of the Spirit. And I want to look forward. This is one of those messages where the introduction may be bigger than the message. 2 Corinthians 3 one verse you're very familiar with, and if you're not, you should be. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Say freedom. freedom. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Father, I pray that you explode in this place this morning. As we grab a hold again of the truth that each one in the body of Christ is filled with the Spirit. Now, Lord God, manifest your presence as I preach the gospel and as this word is received by Harvest Church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. That could be worrisome when you read it because it seems like Paul is confusing the members of the Godhead. But let me back up and give you some context for that statement. Paul, in this letter is defending his ministry. He has been attacked by false apostles that came into the church after Paul had left. And they had poisoned the minds of the Corinthians against Paul. You know, what they did is they showed up and they had letters from Jerusalem. <clears throat> and they said, we have letters. Did Paul have a letter? And they thought about it and said, no. Uh, now that we think about it, he didn't have a letter. 
of commendation from the apostles in Jerusalem. We have pedigree. We have uh, uh, letters that commend us. Who is Paul? And they began to sow seeds of doubt in their minds about the apostle Paul. So Paul writes back. He says, you're right. I don't have letters. You are our letter, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of fleshly hearts. Paul says, you are the proof of my apostleship. Paul is talking about the fact that his gospel didn't outwardly uh, be written on a code of exterior ethics written on stone. It was, in fact, written in the fact that it transformed men and women into the image of Jesus Christ. That's so important. This is contrasted, of course, with the Old Covenant, where Paul says, uh, he calls it the ministry of condemnation. It, it tells you what you need to do, but it doesn't have the ability to transform you. Paul says, my gospel was transformative. It changed men and women as they believed it into the image of God. So important to realize that. For Paul, he says, the Spirit imparts life. The Spirit imparts life. It doesn't just tell me what I should be. It imparts life. You know the way I said it on a Zoom call to a bunch of prophets Friday. Chuck Porter leads a Zoom call, and I was able to teach. I said, the, pro the conditions of the old are now the promises of the new. Think about it. In the old, it says, if you walk in my statutes, so-and-so will happen. Paul says, I'm sorry, Jeremiah and Ezekiel say, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So the conditions of the old are the promises of the new. Now it says that the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is. Now I found one translation that transformed my whole thinking of the Holy Spirit. It read it this way. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit is Lord there is freedom. And there is some justification translation-wise for that statement. It is not far. It's, you don't have to mess with the text to read it that way. Now think about it that way. It, that way, the first statement is a statement of fact. The second statement is conditional. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. The first statement is a statement of fact. The second statement, where the Spirit is Lord, is not a statement of fact. It's a conditional statement. How many know there's a lot of places that claim the Spirit of the Lord is Lord, but they're in bondage? There's no freedom. They claim the, the truth of the Spirit's in us, and we're free. But when you look and examine, the Spirit is not Lord in that place. Hello? This is so, you know, the reality is we have not given place to the Holy Spirit. I'm saying we, I'm not saying Harvest Church, but we have not on the whole in the church given the place to the Holy Spirit that the Scripture gives to Him. In Paul's theology, the Holy Spirit was everything. He was not just the third person of the Godhead. Everything Jesus Christ accomplished by His death and resurrection are made real to us only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He must be Lord. Now, if He is Lord, 
the earmark of that, the evidence will be he will, there will be freedom. And that word freedom in the Greek implies two realities. Number one, the first one, freedom to do not as one pleases, but what one should. In other words, the Spirit impels us to holy living and we're free not to follow the dictates of our flesh, but we're free to follow the Spirit completely. This is so true. And it corresponds to what Paul said earlier when he said the presence of the Spirit in the heart produces a, 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 a desire for fruitfulness and righteousness. But there's a second implication of the word freedom. For the Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. Freedom to follow the Holy Spirit freely, especially when He leads us uh, in a way in which we are, uh, uh, how shall I say it, to lay aside sacred tradition. You know, when I was growing up in my Pentecostal church in Miami, Florida in the 70s, I was taught this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and he'll never lead you into anything that will make you uncomfortable. That's what I was told. Then I read Acts 10, where Peter's minding his own business, being a Jewish apostle on a rooftop praying, and all of a sudden a vision opens up and sheep from heaven with ham hocks and BLTs, things I've never eaten. And three times this occurs, and Peter's blown away. First, he thinks it's a trap of the devil. I, I know the devil's voice. He's trying to me to eat ham hocks. I'm not going to do it. But it happens three times, and he's beginning to get the message that this isn't about food. This is about God cleansing a people from the Gentiles who will be added to the Jewish body, and the, the church will be one new man. And Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, is... Beginning to realize, and you know, when you read this story, he's being dragged against his will. You know, and, and when he's preaching, you can almost read between the lines. It doesn't say it in Luke's account of Acts, but you can almost read it like he's saying, Lord, please don't do anything. I'll have to explain it to the boys in Jerusalem. <laughs> but it's too late. As, Paul's, as Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit fell, and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying, and the whole bit. Some gentleman. You know, Peter had grown up his whole life believing that to even go to a Gentile's house was sinful. And now the Holy Spirit is dragging him to do what sacred tradition said he should never do. But he's realizing it's the Holy Spirit. Apparently, God's not into protocol. He's into visitation. He wants to take a people for his name. Some gentleman. Reminds me of when I was sitting in my office one day being pastoral when the phone rang and I answered and a man with an Arabic sounding voice said, we're having a debate on UT campus. Can you come and can you supply some, someone from your congregation to debate? I said, who would we be debating? They said, two Satanists, a witch, two witches, a Satanist, a pantheist, and a religious professor. And we had at Trinity at that time a young man that was a Wheaton graduate and he majored in debate. So I said, I know exactly who will do it. And I went to, to this young man and said, well, here's the thing you're going to debate. It's perfect for you. And he looked at me and said, I'm not supposed to do it. You are. I'll prepare you. And I rebuked him and then 
but he insisted. And I had that small, still voice within me going, you're supposed to do it. Now, I'm not a debater. I've never been in a debate. I've never done a debate, per se. And this was not, my, I was not in my league, and the Holy Spirit's dragging me. And I kept hearing the words of my first pastor, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, and he will never ask you to do anything that will make you uncomfortable. Well, when I got there, I thought it was a religious studies class. That's what it was originally with 25, 30 students. But people from the church had built posters and plastered them all over UT campus. Okay, come hear the debate, fundamentalist versus broomstick. And they had to move it to the main auditorium, 500 people. There were death threats. There was ABC cameras, live interviews. The, 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 the Satanists said there was a death threat against them, police all over the building. And I, you talk about weakness. I was out of my element. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I've never debated. I, what am I going to do? And I was looking for a way out. But the Holy Spirit said, just let me borrow your mouth. You know, I remembered the word of the Lord. In that hour, it will not be you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And I got there and I said to the moderator, who was the man with the Arabic voice, I said, can I go last? And he said, yes. And so the two witches got up and showed their white witchery. It was pathetic. Then the Satanist, the Jewish Satanist who couldn't come, he said, because the death threats were against him, who showed a 10-minute video in which he reviled the name of the Lord Jesus. It was grievous. Then the pantheist got up. You know what pantheism is? It's everything's God. This table's God. The floor's God. And that was pitiful. And then the, the professor got up, and I thought, maybe she'll bail me out. But she held up a book criticizing the new age, and she said, this is horrible. And I knew it was all my own. And brothers and sisters, I have never felt weaker in that moment than I ever was. That was the weakest I ever felt. And I stood up, and I remembered the Lord said, just let me borrow your mouth. And the power of God fell on me to such a degree I opened my mouth and I was blown away by what was being said. I knew the Holy Spirit had just taken possession of the moment. And he, the prognosticators of Babylon were baffled that day. And, and I had kids come up to me at the end on campus saying, I gave up Christianity a long while ago. I had no idea this is what it was. The Holy Spirit took over the moment. And blew away my sacred idea that the Holy Spirit never is a gentleman and never leads you to do anything that would make you uncomfortable. <laughs> now, in 1 Corinthians 12, what we read earlier, go back there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. We have erroneously been taught that this chapter introduces the gifts of the Spirit. It's not true. Really, that's deceiving. It has more to do with learning how to live properly in the community of the redeemed, the body of Christ. For Paul, living properly in the body of Christ is impossible without the power of the Spirit. Paul, by the way, in this chapter is not just talking about having church services. 
He's talking about living as a responsible member of the body of Christ, the community of the Spirit, in which everyone is gifted and contributes, which we'll see in a moment. Paul is talking about that. There's only one way for Paul that Jesus of Nazareth was the, uh, to know that Jesus of Nazareth is the ascended Lord of glory. The only way is for him, uh, for that person to know that he sent the glorified Spirit. And that's the way we know that Jesus is glorified. That's the reality. The reality this morning that you and I have entered the domain of the Holy Spirit is the proof that Jesus has ascended because it wasn't until his ascension that he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit doesn't come merely to round out our lives. The Spirit comes to enable us to live in the body. The question this morning I want to present to you and answer is what does it mean? What does it look like to live in the domain of the Spirit? Well, there are two realms where the Holy Spirit is working overtime in your life and mine. First, in the area of fruit. Secondly, in the area of gifts. Fruit and gifts. Now think about this. The Spirit First of all, his priority is to form in you and I the character of the Lord Jesus. How many know if you want a reason for why you're going through all that you're going through, God loves you so much, he wants you to be, become just like his son in every way. And that's in the character of Jesus. The Spirit isn't given to us first to get us to do something, but to become someone. And one of the things we realize about fruit is that we are basically unconscious of the process. In the sense, the fruit is produced quite effortlessly. You know, a number of years ago, I went through a very difficult period where God was showing me my pride. And he seemed to be going out of his way to show me how prideful I was. And I was blown away because I prided myself on being humble. <laughs> but he was really busting me. You, he would bust me for something I said. You did that out of pride. And right at that time, a young man came to me and said, Pastor, I just want you to know, your humility blesses my socks. And I'm sitting there going, he's lying. <laughs> humility, all I see is pride. But then I realized something. The fruit of the Spirit is not for me. It's for others to come and taste the refreshing fruit and be blessed. It's not for me. Right? And that was life transformative because I, I only saw pride. But because I was dealing with the Holy Spirit or letting the Holy Spirit deal with my pride, it was revealing uh, the, the fruit of humility to others. How many know the fruit is not for you to enjoy? It's for others to pick off your tree and be blessed. It's a truth. But this happens unconsciously. You know, when I, ran, I used to run in orange groves in Florida. And I always knew when I was in a Christian orange grove because I could hear the oranges striving to be produced. Oh, I knew it was a Christian uh, orange drove. Now, here's the deal. If the fruit is produced effortlessly and unconsciously, it is interesting that in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, check your version, everybody has the word gifts. But it's not the Greek word charisma, which is translated gifts in the New Testament. It's a totally different word, pneumatikos. 
which means spiritual operations. The word charisma is not really in the Greek text. It literally says, now concerning spirituals or spiritual operations. I would not have you ignorant. And Paul, get this, as far as Paul is concerned, these things, these spiritual operations he's describing in chapter 12, uh, should be just as evident in the community as the fruit is. Hello? Now we saw that the fruit is produced quite effortlessly. But what about the gifts? I learned improperly, I believe, when I was growing up, that while the fruit is produced effortlessly, when it comes to the gifts, it takes a lot of sweat to produce them. You got to work really hard. Most of us think that way. That only sweat and noise will produce these spiritual operations. I have a question. Why do we apply a, apply a different law to the realm of the spiritual operations than we do uh, when we're talking about the fruit? I'll tell you why I believe. I believe we do it because the uh, the fruit is is super the gifts are supernatural and we uh, are uh, when we hear that word for many of us we immediately think supernatural is equated with unnatural I was for years you know people feel when these gifts are are manifest you know it it uh, they must become different people. You have to quiver and revert to King James English. That's what I learned when I learned the manifestation of these gifts. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus in John 7, remember he said, He that believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of water. He didn't say shall explode, it shall flow. And he uses the word flow instead of explode because it's like being in a river. You know, he says, out of your innermost bones shall flow rivers of living water. Have you ever been in a river that begins to pull you? You know, I love when we went to, I took my kids to the splash thing at Dollywood one day. And I love they have those relaxing uh crazy river things where you just lay there. You don't have to do anything. And the current of the river, and you sit there and dream, wouldn't it be nice if all of life was this easy? But it's true. The river, in fact, Paul, Jesus is quoting from Ezekiel 47, which says Ezekiel got in the river. Remember, it was up to his ankles, up to his knees, up to his waist, and then it was a river that could not be forded, and the current of the river was pulling him. Now, if we take this statement, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common dead. I want to break that down into four pregnant statements and look at each one. This is what the manifestation of the Spirit does. Here it is. First of all, I want to talk about the scope of the gifts. Secondly, I want to talk about the nature of the gifts. Thirdly, I want to talk about the realm of the gifts. And four, I want to talk about the focus of the gifts. Number one. The scope of the gifts. But to each one. How many? You know, the church has tended to look at those who operate in these operations as experts. 
You know, we exalt them, the natural prominence, national prominence. There's somebody coming. He works in the gifts. Ooh. Or else we teach about the gifts and we bring an expert to Africa and we're doing, by doing so, we unconsciously are saying, the gifts are so difficult to, to move in, we had to find an expert in Africa. But Paul doesn't say that. You know, when he comes to the fivefold ministry, Paul says, to some are given to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is true. Not all, some. But when it comes to the scope of these gifts, it's not some. To each one is given. The word there is plural. There is no such thing as an ungifted member of the body of Christ. It doesn't exist. You may not know what your gift is. You may not be comfortable in it. You may not have identified it. But the reality is you are gifted if you're in the body of Christ because these operations were given to each one. And the same spirit that indwells you, that is producing the fruit of the character of Jesus, is in you to produce you the power and ministry of Jesus through these spiritual operations. Peter chimes in, says the same thing. As each one has received a spiritual gift, so employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the gifts of God. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. To each one is given a special gift, he says. So the idea that the gifts only operate for fivefold ministry or specialized experts is erroneous. This is as natural as what is God is doing in you and I as he produces the fruit of the character of Jesus through the indwelling spirit. I had a pastor ask me one time, are you into body ministry? I said, I haven't heard. Is there any other? Now, it doesn't mean there aren't leaders and fivefold gifts in the church. There are, and those are given for our safety and love. But each one is called to operate. God wants a functioning body. And I praise God for that. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul describes probably a house church meeting because it's too big for, too much for a, a corporate meeting. But he says, uh, you know, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, a hymn, a teaching. You know, I was teaching a group of leaders in a church in California once many years ago, and they were bemoaning the fact that the, that the gifts weren't manifest in their meetings. And I said, well, let me, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you in this room have had songs on your heart when you've come to a gathering before? And the hands went up. I said, how many of you have had words to speak, a teaching, but you quenched it? And every time I asked a question, hands went up. And I said, you don't have a, a gift problem. You have a quench problem. To each one... Here's the next word. We talked about the scope of the gifts. Let's talk about the nature of the gifts. To each one is given. Say given. Each one is given. God gave these gifts to you freely. He didn't query you if you're going to be faithful. He gave them to you. And this implies a few important things. First of all, it destroys boasting of any type. How can I boast when what I have is given to me. Paul says it this way in the Corinthian letter in chapter 4. What have you that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you earned it? Right. 
You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing Jesus said is the key to the whole sermon. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor there is a translation of a Greek word. It could be one of two Greek words translated by the one English word poor. One means temporarily destitute, like you fell down on your luck and you need a hotel room, somebody's helping you out. The other one is to be a complete beggar having nothing unless you receive it. Which word do you think Jesus used to describe the kingdom dweller? The last one. Blessed are those who are destitute, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not only does it destroy boasting, but if you realize it, it destroys, uh, you know, it completely destroys the possibility of jealousy. How can I be jealous of you if I'm a beggar and what I received was from God? How can I be jealous of you if you're a beggar and God gave you a different gift? And Paul deals with that in this chapter. He says, can you imagine my eye being jealous of my ear? Or my foot being jealous of my hand. See, we, we tend to negate the gifts that are in this room uh, b because I'm, I'm the visible gift uh, operating right now, the gift of teaching. And that's important to the body. But what your gift is isn't less important because you're not as visible. As evidenced by those who served this last few weeks working on the building, which is incredible. Thank you for your service. It looks wonderful. And it saved old people from having to go downstairs. And I is one of them. I is one of them, David. This is the meaning of what Peter said when he said, as good stewards of the manifold, steward the gifts you are given as the good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what a steward is? It's someone appointed to manage uh, the goods of another. And God will call you and I to account one day for what we did with what we were given. That's the truth. It's not whether the church sees or not. It's the fact that we need to serve God in a way that recognizes that one day we will give an account for what we did with what he gave me. And that's why we must steward it properly. The next thing is the realm of the gifts. To each one is given the manifestation. Say manifestation. The manifestation. The Greek word is phaneris. It means open to sight or visible. The manifestation of the Spirit means there's an open and visible display of the operation of the Spirit. This is not happening in a corner as far as Paul is concerned. This is open and visible and on display. Now, that means that these gifts don't operate in secretly, but, but openly. They open... They, or manifest openly. And I don't mean they're only for the platform. That's not what we mean. And that's what we've come to believe, that they're really for the platform. And if I'm not moving in the gifts on the platform, they're not valid. But that's not it at all. And by the way, they're not only manifest in church meetings, but they are used to build up the body of Christ and reach unbelievers. I dare say they're evident even in the non-religious uh, realm. How about, can a word of wisdom be used to help a struggling business? Why not? But again, these operations are perfect when it comes to evangelism. 
You know, a number of years ago, I was driving to a conference with two other brothers. Uh, I think it was in Nashville. And uh, we stopped at a convenience store to get gas. And the two guys were ready to pump the gas. I went in to pay for it. And when I reached the door of the convenience store, I yelled back and said, hey, guys, do you want anything to eat? I'm buying. And a perfect stranger was walking in the door of the convenience store right then. And he heard me say that. And he said, well, if you're buying, I'll take it. And I said, sure, I'll buy for you. After all, you're a backslidden Christian who's been running from the Lord for 10 years and God's called you into ministry. And I tried to stop the words as they came out of my mouth. That's the truth. It was completely unpremeditated. I just stopped and said, sure, I'll buy because you're a backslidden Christian who's been running from the Lord for 10 years and you are called to the ministry. And by that time, we were both in the doorway of the convenience store and he was pale white. The, the word of knowledge busted him. And I never followed up. I should have on what happened to Adam. Conveniently, his name was Adam. But he knew that day that he was apprehended by a gift of the Spirit, the love of God, manifest in a word of knowledge. Jesus made that clear when he talked to the woman at the well. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband because the one you're living with, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with is not your husband. Hello? Phaneros. Open to sight. Visible. We need to pray for the gifts to operate when we go out and share the gospel. People need to know that we're dealing with the living God, not religious tradition, but the living God. How about when he busted Nathaniel? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. These gifts can open people. They're dinner bells to salvation, as a friend of mine used to call them. That's why on the high priest's garment, there were both pomegranates and there were uh, bells. The pomegranates represent the fruit of God. The bells represent the power of God. And then finally, the focus of the gifts. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good. You know, we've grown up watching people move in these gifts and got the idea that we were, you know, that you have to be showy when you do this. I alluded to that earlier. You have to change your voice and you have to quiver and speak in King James English. And you have to be really showy. But let me remind you, this statement for the common good reminds us that the gifts are not in the first place for ourselves, but for the good of the body. The word common is the root from which we derive the word community. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, the members should have the same care for one another. We move in the gifts for one reason, we care. If you want a clue to the key to the gifts, don't seek the gifts, seek hearts that are full of compassion. How many times in the Gospels that Jesus, saw, seeing their need, felt compassion, and therefore he healed them? He moved in compassion. If you were to ask me what is the key to moving in the operations of 1 Corinthians 12, I would say compassion is key. 
No, the Greek word for compassion is my favorite Greek word, splunkna, from which our word spleen is derived. It's the bowels. It's, that's why the King James translated that splunkna many times by the English word bowels. Because that is, in the ancient world, in the ancient Hebrew economy, that's where the spirit, where compassion is, you know, the spirit dwells in the belly. That's why the King James said, out of his innermost belly shall flow rivers of living water. The bowels are the seed of the emotions. Imagine you getting a Hallmark card from Sheila saying, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> you wouldn't be too sure about that. But that would make sense to an Easterner. It would. And we know that to be true. How many times have we said something like, when I got the news, it hit me in the gut? Because instinctively we know the gut is where compassion and where love is stirred up. If you want to move in the operations of the Spirit, by all means pursue spiritual gifts because we're told to, but seek to be a man or a woman whose heart is filled with compassion for hurting people. Do you ever have that moment? I've had times where I'm sitting in crowds and the compassion of Jesus filled my heart and I began to weep as I looked at the lost, uh, lost people and the hurt and the, the way that Satan has ripped people off and my heart ached for them. So the scope of the gift to each one, the nature of the gift is given. The uh, focus, the... Uh, realm of the gifts, the manifestation and the, the uh, focus of the gifts for the common good. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, let's look and see if we're obeying this because he tells us to do it. I love to taunt my cessationist friends who believe the gifts have been done away with. Say, well, therefore, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. You're, you make much of the word of God, but you're in disobedience to the word of God because you're not pursuing spiritual gifts. That's what he said to do. Pursue love, so let's make love the most, but earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Love should be central, but we should pursue these gifts. And the two things I want to say in concluding this message is number one, we need to change our mindset when we come to meetings. We Sometimes our mindset is, I want to receive, I want to receive, I want to receive. And we're not in the mindset that says, maybe God wants to, maybe the song you've had on your heart all week is going to bless somebody. Maybe the teaching. And I learned this the hard way. You know, when I served the church in Florida for five years, I wouldn't, we'd have two Sunday services. And a large church, and I wouldn't always be in the pulpit. And when I wasn't in the pulpit, I felt useless. I'd come to first service, end up in the foyer sitting around, and then go to second service. And I felt I had no usefulness. My teaching gift was not employed. And I saw it as a waste of time. And the Holy Spirit dealt with me. It says, why can't I use you in teaching as you sit in the foyer? And that began, I began to pray for that. And lo and behold, people in droves would see me sitting. Can I ask you a Bible question? Can I talk to you about this? And I was ministering and because I previously saw uh, my ministry only from the platform. But God said, why is it limited to the platform? It's not. So change your mindset when you come to corporate meetings. Now, 
we can't have everybody moving in gifts in the corporate meeting. It would be six hours. <laughs> and I'm game. I'd stay for four. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's when you come, be ready. Maybe God wants you to give an exhortation. The prophetic words this morning, the prophetic word that came forth was really confirming the message. I appreciate that. Number two, learn to be naturally supernatural. Learn to be natural. You don't have to change into another person, quiver and shake and speak in King James. God is perfectly suited to use you with your voice and inflections just the way you are. And that set me free because I move in the prophetic, but I wasn't comfortable mimicking others. And I used to feel like it had to come forth this way to be valid. And the Holy Spirit dealt with me. Now, I want to do this. I want you to stand. Lord told me to pray for two groups this morning. And these groups are active at, at harvest already. I'm not praying because it hasn't been happening. But how many want to see increase? It's all about increase. What a great encouragement from the Lord. Hello again. We want to invite you to subscribe to this ministry. We would love to hear from you. Contact us at our website, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the connect button and leave us a message. We'll respond to you just as soon as we can. You can also interact with us on Facebook at Harvest Church. Our request is that you pray for us and also pray about financially supporting this ministry so it can continue to go out. No gift is too small. If you have a local church, please don't neglect it in your giving whenever giving to this ministry. There's three easy ways to give and all our giving options are secure. Your first option is at our website. Again, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the Give button and follow the steps. Your second option is via text. Send a text to 865-366-4993 with the amount that you wish to give in the message section. Your third option is via snail mail. Send it to Harvest Church, 6720 Kern Road, that's K-E-R-N, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37918. If you are in the Knoxville, Tennessee area and you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and be with us. We'd love to see you. Again, thank you for listening. Our prayer for you is that you grow in your knowledge of Christ Jesus and experience great increase of grace and peace. Remember, Jesus really loves you.